0: At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jonathan Fialco, Deputy Director of the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital, and Medical Director of the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute Lipid Center as well as Chief Population Health Officer of Baptist Health, South Florida. Exercise has long been touted as a means of developing and maintaining a healthy cardiovascular system. And as many athletes um, lead a healthy lifestyle, there's often an assumption that athletes and physically active people are not really at risk for cardiac issues. However, athletes are not immune. They can suffer from heart-related health conditions at any point in their lives. From the brisk walker to the marathon runner, the gamut of athletic activity is a large one and it's important for every type of athlete to stay on top of their heart health. As more athletes and performance artists are recognized as needing specialized approaches to their cardiovascular issues, a subspecialty within cardiologists has evolved, within cardiology has evolved, and that is the subspecialty of the sports cardiologist. There are a handful of experts in this field, and we're fortunate to have one at Baptist Health in our Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute cardiology group. The expert joining me today is highly qualified to provide some insight. I'd like to welcome Dr. Eli Friedman, director of sports cardiology with the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute and Baptist Health. Welcome, Eli.
0: John, thanks so much. Really good to be with you.
1: Um, Eli, let's start with sports cardiology. Again, what is the skills and knowledge you have that we want to match that that more complex patient need with, with Uh, with the sports cardiologist. talk Tell us a little bit about what sports cardiology is.
0: Absolutely. So as you mentioned, sports cardiology is really blossoming, and especially in this age of COVID, I I think the the discipline has really caught on, and a lot of people have become aware of it. So uh, as a sports cardiologist, first and foremost, I'm trained as a general cardiologist. You go through all the traditional training, But those of us who participate in this field, I think really find ourselves being very passionate about the intersection of cardiology and sport or athletics. And so we we care for anybody to whom exercise or sport is important. Now that that can be our weekend warriors, or those just exercising to attain the health benefits of exercise, all the way through our professional or Olympic athletes. And it, it really takes someone who, again, is passionate about this, who's dedicated to it, who understands, the nuance of, of care in the athlete. that That's as important as being able to speak the language of an athlete. So understanding what makes a runner tick, what makes a cyclist tick, what makes somebody who's a performance artist tick, and, and same with our first responders. And then understanding how the discipline that that athlete participates in can affect the cardiovascular system and what we call adaptive mechanisms. The heart is a muscle, just like any other muscle in the body. And when you train it, when you participate in sport or athletics, especially for long periods of time, that muscle can adapt. It will change the way it looks. And that's true both in how you look at it grossly, but also in the testing that we do, echoes, MRIs, etc. So um, it, it really requires a lot of nuance, a lot of thought, a lot of time with our athletes to get to know them on, on really deep and detailed levels to then be able to provide care.
1: It's, it's the physiology, the, 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 uh, the medical science of the athlete, particularly the cardiovascular system, but also the expectations of the athlete for their own performance and for their own health needs. It's a, it's a combination thereof, which is, uh, which is great, which leads us to this question. So Why is it important for um, everyone to be physically active to promote their cardiovascular and general health? And in particular, what do athletes need to do to stay on top of that? There is that presumption. I'm very athletic. I have no cardiac risk. Speak to that a little bit.
0: Yeah. First and foremost, just to backtrack to a point you made. Yes, uh, it's also really important, the mentality of an athlete when when someone engages in sport for long periods of time. And if sport is important, um, having that compromise or having concerns about their own health, Um, certainly uh, plays issues within their their mental and physical well-being as to are they safe to do so and you know we we want to get as many people exercising as possible because the health benefits are just so profound and you know coming from your perspective a cardiometabolic perspective just simply meeting the guidelines of exercise which is 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week or 75 minutes of high intensity exercise per week will have significant cardiometabolic protective uh, benefits in terms of lowering blood glucose glucose, lowering cholesterol, lowering blood pressure, psychosocial well-being will improve as a result of exercise as well. So we really want to encourage as many people out there to hit those guidelines, that 150 minutes or 75 minutes. And that's where you really, that's the sweet spot. That's where you maximize the health benefits. Now, when we talk about our athletes, yes, the more you do, there will be some improvement in those risk factors as well. But it tends to have sort of what we call diminishing returns. Somebody who does an ultra marathon one time per week is not tangibly gonna be healthier than somebody who hits those guidelines. So I I think certainly we want people exercising, and in our clinic, even for our symptomatic athletes or those we have concerns about, we are looking for reasons to keep people exercising and doing so as safely and as healthily as possible.
1: And now specific to the athletes though, um, do you find that athletes tend to um, ignore other risk factors that may exist because they're athletic? How do you, what would you recommend that athletes Do to keep themselves uh, healthy from a cardiovascular standpoint, not just the physical activity, that's the default. What are the kind of things that we address uh, as a
0: sports cardiologist? So, I think we see both ends of that spectrum. On on one hand, we will see folks who will will come in because whether there's a family member, there's a family history of significant cardiac disease, or a friend in their cycling or their running group or at their gym had a cardiac event and they're concerned personally, we will see people who are very proactive in this. But also, on on the other end, um, athletes have a very different mentality of wanting to push through things and, and wanting to to just sort of get to the other end and at all costs, finish the race. And, and that's true of our training and the events that, that we train for. And while occasionally that may be okay for a knee or for an ankle, although I know our orthopedic and sports medicine colleagues may disagree on that. Um, in the cardiovascular system, if there are things that are are potentially catching an athlete's attention, uh, we'd rather have those evaluated sooner rather than later because you know uh, messing around with a potential cardiac condition underlying can cause significant issues. Exercise and training are not immune therapy. As as much as we wish that they were, they just aren't. And and my favorite thing to tell athletes, especially those with significant cardiac disease in their family, is that you can't run from your genes. No matter how many miles you log, no matter how heavy the weights are, you you can't outrun those genetic predispositions. So it's really important to be aware of it, I think, and and to seek attention, certainly, if there are symptoms.
1: Um, There's a term for athletes called master athletes. And can you define what the what, who falls into that master uh, athlete category
0: and what are the cardiovascular conditions again that we want to uh, um, uh, be aware of? Yeah, I, I do so reluctantly only because I'm a member of the class now and it, it's, it's, always, <laughs> uh, it's always humiliating when, when you hit that. Welcome so, to the club. A master's athlete is somebody over the age of 35 who's engaging really in competitive sport and uh, does so at high levels. It, it's someone to whom sport is very important and, and competition as well. So over the age of 35, uh, competing in, in a range of different sports out there is, is w- when you fall into a master's athlete category.
1: So how, how uh, the particular things that masters at master athletes might experience that they don't think of as a sign of cardiac conditions, what are the things that you would tell them? Uh, I'll give you an example, maybe not in the master athlete, but something I deal with all the time is someone who, let's say, runs five miles five times a week. Mm-hmm. They hurt their ankle. They don't run. And now they can only do three miles when they get back to it after a month. And they think it's a problem, but arguably they just haven't been exercising. So where, where would that master athlete say, wait a minute, maybe I should get myself checked out. I'm noticing.
0: Yeah, again, it's subtle. And, uh, you know, what may be um, not so concerning of a feature or or a symptom to someone who doesn't deal with athletes a lot, maybe a big red flag to someone like myself and, and. You know, the, the range of symptoms that an athlete can experience, especially over the, the age of 35, and we should talk about why that number of 35 is important in the sports cardiology world, um, can really be similar to our general cardiac population. So, chest pain, discomfort, skipping heartbeats, shortness of breath, fatigue. But how an athlete will experience that can sometimes be different. An athlete may be able to push through some of these things but notice uh, somewhat precipitously that they're not hitting their times on on their miles as much, that their power zones when they're on the bike are decreasing, that they're significantly fatigued, that it's taking more energy than they would expect to complete their usual training regimen. So all of those things are very different um, and how an athlete experiences it. And then again, how we evaluate it is very different too. So we have a tool in, in our arsenal called a cardiometabolic stress test, which can really delve into some of these details Uh, People think of it often as like the VO2 test. The the athlete will come in, wear a mask, get on the treadmill, get on our bike, and and we're able to really push them and sort of bring out some of these subtleties. Also use it as a baseline should an athlete already have established cardiovascular disease to be able to tease out if there's worsening of the condition later on. And as I said, I want to go back to that number of 35. So 35 is important because you become a master's athlete, but it's also important in our world in sports cardiology because after the age of 35, the risk of having coronary artery disease begins to increase. So, whereas you may have heard of events where unfortunately people have terrible events during marathons or cycling races, when you cross over that age of 35 and there are events, we increasingly believe that it could be due to coronary artery disease versus earlier than 35. It's probably genetic predispositions, things that the athlete may have been born with that could predispose to having a cardiac event during athletics.
1: What are the more common things you'll find in the athletes that will come to you noticing, again, a diminution in athletic performance or some of these symptoms? What are the more common things that you'll be
0: uh, evaluating and treating? So it can be really a range of things, um, you know, certainly high blood pressure, uh, obstructive coronary artery disease, arrhythmias are, are going to be things that, that we notice. So these conditions exist in large numbers in, in terms of prevalence in the general community. And again, uh, athletics and training are not immune therapy. So we do see them frequently in our athletes as well. But again, how they impact performance and the medications we choose and, and our modalities to test and treat are quite different in athletes. Because the medications we may use for one person could have significant impacts on an athlete's ability to train thereafter. So the conditions may be the same, but the experience, how the athlete feels it, is very different. And again, as I mentioned, the, the treatment and the testing is different.
1: And I think that speaks to a lot of how we're approaching our MCVI, Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute of Cardiology, which is to match that complexity of the patient with the skill and specialty of the cardiologist. Um, um, there's plenty of great cardiologists who do a lot of
0: great cardiovascular work. But when patients have the complex issues, we wanna get them with the specialist who deals with that. And to use sort of a sports analogy, it's my, my job to be the point guard or the quarterback of the team. We, we have a, a really, really good multidisciplinary team behind all of us that supports this. So imaging is incredibly important for an athlete. We have fantastic cardiac imagers in terms of MRI, CT that we can rely on. We've got electrophysiologists and interventionalists who can help support and, and who can have really meaningful discussions about how we're going to treat an athlete, again, which is very different than a general cardiac population. A, a blockage, let's say, of 50% in a coronary artery and someone who's not engaging in high-intensity exercise probably isn't going to be very important. But a 50%, 60% lesion in someone who is doing marathons, 100-mile cycling races, we know from research can actually be very significant. So we need to think of that differently, and we need to have a full team behind us who understands how, the, how that works as well.
1: Let's get through a couple of kind of interesting type of um, um, scenarios and components. Um, a Harvard study recently came out that says there's a correlation between football-related weight gain and cardiac issues. Can you elaborate on that study? And you do take care of athletes and, and retired athletes as well. Um, so speak about both um, the correlation as well as your experience.
0: Yeah. First of all, disclaimers. as we touch on this subject, we would never discourage anybody from participating in football or any other sport for these reasons. But I think, you know, much as we counsel our athletes as they engage in sport in terms of orthopedic issues, it is important to have the awareness of how we train our bodies, how that can have impacts later on in life. So I think a lot of people go into sport and expect that later on, okay, they're going to have knee pain or back pain. And it's just the, the price of doing business. Well, we're starting to learn that some of those changes that our bodies go through in order to become, let's say football, offensive linemen, linebackers, defensive linemen, or any sport that that requires us to put on significant amounts of weight can have cardiometabolic. um, implications later on down the road. So we have found that left ventricles, the main pumping chamber of the heart can become thicker, arterial stiffness increases, so our arteries become not as compliant. And we know through that, that's increased risk for hypertension. And then you can follow the risk of hypertension later on, how that impacts kidneys, stroke risk, cardiovascular disease risk. So really the implications are there. Again, we would not discourage people from doing this. We we understand as much as anybody, how powerful and important sport is to an athlete. But it's important to have that in the back of our minds that once those days are over, once we're no longer an offensive tackle, maybe we need to address our risk factors a little bit more, be more vigilant. And and I think in the sports cardiology world, we we enable ourselves to be sort of the athletic home for these people, where where they can come be understood as an athlete, understood the the things they put their bodies through in order to be masters of their craft, but then we're able to have similar discussions with them moving forward to optimize their risk factors and keep them healthy.
1: Um, Let's bring into the COVID-19 experience, um, which is relatively new for all of us. Um, if someone tested positive for COVID-19, asymptomatic, and then let's talk about someone who might've had symptoms and then wants to resume exercise, what, what recommendations do you have or concerns would you raise?
0: So yeah, initially, um, as we were learning about COVID, hard to believe it's been a year. Um, we, we got a lot of our data from hospitalized patients. People were showing up in the hospital with these terrible viral pneumonias, and we were finding that the cardiovascular system was impacted by that. So we were being very conservative initially really putting all of our athletes through a pretty significant testing in order to get them back, especially at the collegiate and professional levels. As those of us who are doing this at high volumes begin to, to see lots and lots of people, uh, we found that fortunately the cardiovascular implications in those who are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic were quite rare. And so we, we've adjusted our guidelines as such and uh, we are no longer recommending cardiovascular risk stratification or testing from a cardiac standpoint to return to sport, um, on, at least on the, the collegiate side and um, in those who are recreationally exercising in order to get back to their sport. So the, the general consensus is that if you have COVID, um, number one, get healthy, be well, and then slowly return to sport afterward. If on your return to sport you notice disproportionate shortness of breath, increasing fatigue, chest pain or pressure, passing out, that then warrants a further evaluation. If you're someone who likes to engage in very intense exercise and you've had moderate symptoms, so when we say moderate symptoms, fevers, chest pain, difficulty breathing during the illness, or you have significant underlying medical conditions and then you want to get back to your sport and do so at high intensities, I think risk stratification may be helpful. It may be worthwhile to go see a cardiologist at that point. Certainly if someone was hospitalized with COVID and then wants to return to sport, we definitely recommend following up and at least having a discussion before returning. Um, Again, uh, fortunately we're not seeing a lot of this myocarditis as much as we were concerned about, but it does exist and we do wanna try to catch those needles in the haystack. Um, Important to be aware that it's not always cardiac also. I I think we're underestimating the the incidence of viral pneumonias, how this virus impacts the lungs in our general community, those who aren't hospitalized. So I think we all need to be aware too that uh, the pulmonary component is equally as important. What about general heart
1: screening, general preventive care? Again, the athlete sometimes thinks they're immune and, and, and uh, not subject to the, the, the other things that happen as part of living in the United States of America. Um, so what recommendations do you have for um, athletic people to um, uh, keep up on their general cardiovascular uh, protection and prevention?
0: Um, we really don't recommend routine ECG screening, electrocardiogram screening, echocardiograms coronary calcium scores for the purpose of competing in sport. That really, across the board, is not a blanket recommendation we make. Um, We would actually probably discourage it for most people. However, if you have a significant family history of heart disease, coronary artery disease, arrhythmias, if people in the family have died suddenly without causes, and you are someone who wants to engage in high-intensity, high-volume exercise, I think seeing someone, seeing a cardiologist, and, and we hope that's a sports cardiologist, is very important because, again, there's nuance there. And we want to make sure that there aren't underlying conditions that could put the athlete at risk during competition uh, or training.
1: What are your recommendations to an athlete regarding um, supplements? Um, and, and let's speak to protein patterns and performance enhancers. And then please make a comment regarding uh,
0: anabolic steroids. Absolutely. So anabolic steroids is the easy one first and that uh, we're, we're finding more and more data coming out that anabolic steroid use is linked with premature coronary artery disease blockage in the heart's arteries. Um, so uh, certainly, uh, anybody who's done that, and w- we understand that uh, that was rampant, especially in the baseball era, uh, in, in the 90s, and in potentially other sports as well, um, in, in the, the gyms, to, to be aware of that, that, that there could be a consequence there, and then, So,
1: so you know, if I can interrupt, if yeah. someone used anabolic steroids for a mm-hmm. period of time, but they haven't in several years, are they still at risk?
0: Yes, absolutely, the, the risk still exists. The risk does not go right. away once cessation of the, the drugs have happened, so yes, uh, be aware of that. In terms of supplements and, and over-the-counter type medications, ha- just have to be careful with that. We, with our athletes, we, we ask about medications, of course, what are you taking? But then a lot of people will leave out supplements. What, what, are, what type of vitamins, minerals are you taking? So um, we, we engage with the athlete in, in that discussion. Why are you taking it? What are you hoping to achieve with it? Um, with the understanding that what you think goes into a supplement may not be there and what you don't think is in a supplement may actually be there. So it's a really dicey game. Just have to be careful. Again, blanket recommendations. I I tend not to put things, I tend to recommend people don't put things in their body unless they absolutely need it. If you eat a well-rounded healthy diet in this country, you don't need supplements uh, unless really recommended by your physician. And um, one other comment as well, We, we see a lot of our athletes on testosterone therapy um, again, you, you want to be sure that that's recommended, that there's a reasoning behind that and that it's monitored uh, because there can be uh, negative consequences from that medication as well. So uh, testosterone is something that uh, p- athletes should be aware of that, you know, maybe it does help in the conditions that it's needed for. But if it's not absolutely needed, same adage applies. Don't put it in your body unless you require it.
1: Um, do you ask to do uh, uh, a sleep history with your athletes and do you find uh, a component of sleep apnea? Maybe speak to that a little bit.
0: So we, uh, we, we spend a lot of time, probably more so uh, than, than others, in terms of sleep, nutrition, fluid intake, et cetera. So sleep is exquisitely important uh, to an athlete's performance, so if you... Since we're almost at the Super Bowl, you look at Tom Brady, I think Tom Brady gets like 12 hours of sleep per night, which God bless him <laughs> right <You> know <laughs> right. life goals, but he, yeah, he sleep, can afford to <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> sleep is very important that that's the recovery phase of the body. And if our sleep is disturbed in in any way, shape or form, that can have negative consequences, not only from a, a cardiac pers- not only from a performance perspective but certainly a cardiac perspective as well.
1: um here's a, a question from the audience uh, before we wrap up. Um, and it's a good opportunity to discuss something that I know you're passionate about as well. So the question is, is it imperative to do pre-participation screening before engagement in high-intensity activities and sports? And then maybe a quick comment about your efforts with high school athletes and ADs and, 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 and uh, um, you know, your successes in that area.
0: So the, the blanket recommendation is no um, for most people out there. It is very healthy to participate in sport. That the, the risk of something bad happening is quite low, and the benefit of doing so, both from a medical and, and psychosocial perspective, outweighs any risk. So most people know no screening required unless there are pre-existing conditions, family history, things that would sort of send off red flags. Uh, then yes, a, a screening would be beneficial and discussion would be helpful. Um, I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to talk about what interests me most clinically, which is CPR and AED usage. All of these things with screening and-, and a- AED, just, just so the there's know, yes. AED is- Automatic external defibrillator. So the, right. the red things you see in the airport or the supermarket, um, that, that will shock people's heart uh, if a dangerous rhythm is, is uh, happening during cardiac arrest. So all of these things we talk about screening, Um, controlling risk factors, what we're trying to prevent is sudden cardiac death, a very dangerous heart rhythm that that comes from the heart in the setting of stress, whether it be blockage or pre-existing conditions, so ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation. If we look at data that's out there, 50% of youth coaches based on 2017 2017 data were trained in CPR and AED usage, 50%. So that means if you send your kid to a, a, a league, there's a flip of a coin whether or not the coach will know how to do CPR and use an AED if something really bad happens totally unacceptable it's worse than worse in underserved areas. We are actively working with Baptist uh, and the American Heart Association and multiple other organizations to change that and uh, we're very excited about it and I'm so grateful that Baptist supports the mission.
1: Well again we're very grateful and as I said several times fortunate to have you in our system um, and I really appreciate your time and, uh, and uh, all your uh, efforts that you like Thanks again. before we sign off we could really use your help and your feedback. Please take a moment to review this podcast and email us with comments or suggestions for future topics at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's Talk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and mask
0: up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.